You have to pardon me while I catch my breath, having to run from back there all the way around here. When we first got into the baptismal, David asked me, he said, what's that brick for? Because we have a brick in there for kids to stand on. And I said, well, it's for you to hold so we make sure you go down. And he looked at me, and we should have had him hold it. But uh, I praise God that we can have elements and uh, just pictures of baptism and what God is doing in people's lives um, in services like this. But if you have your Bibles this morning, and I trust that you do, if you can open with me to 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2. And uh, as you guys are turning there, just a couple things to keep in mind. I haven't been here, so if I hit something that's already been said, please forgive me. But today, or excuse me, tomorrow, we are starting a new Bible reading plan for our faith family that will take us Monday through Friday through little small sections of Scripture that will point us to the overall theme for the following Sunday. One of the things we want to encourage you to do, we, um, it's on Facebook, we put a little article as well, is to read these little small sections of Scripture and then use cross-references. Use the um, cross-references of Scripture, which are little letters um, that you will see in the middle of verses that point us back to other verses. And the point is this. We want to teach you this year how to read the Bible the way Jesus read the Bible. Jesus read the Bible understanding the whole of it, not just one little verse or the verse that means the most to you, but how it sits in the context of the whole Word of God. So we want to teach you how to do that. This coming up Wednesday for our Wednesday night message, we'll be walking through this of what it looks like to read the Bible um, with cross-references and, and pointing us to the overall theme of, of Scripture. So just, just please keep that in mind. Also, as been mentioned, our word for the year, we are encouraging every member of our faith family to pray and ask God to give you one word for this new year that's centered upon the word of God. And uh, when you, God gives that to you, you can come up here on the table Get a card, write that word along with a scripture on it. And over the next three weeks, you're going to be hearing um, words from the year from um, just different men in our church and just thankful uh, for what God is doing there. So I want to encourage you to be a part of that. And then, I shouldn't have saved this for last, but um, I, many of you are probably aware, uh, COVID is kind of back and it's hitting different churches. I know three churches today that are having to go online because of COVID. So I just want to make the announcement that we probably shouldn't have to make, but we're going to make it anyway. If you are sick, we want to encourage you to be a part of our worship service by watching it, watching it at home. Um, we have that amazing ability now. Thanks to Brother Mike back there putting it online. So we have that opportunity. Um, so if you're sick, not feeling well, been exposed to someone with COVID, please um, worship online. And uh, we want to try our best to avoid having to go back online like we had to do twice last year. But uh, we will see God's will be done with that. But I said all that to say this. Happy New Year, everybody. Um, and on this first Sunday of 2022, we're going to start um, with a standalone message, which is different than what we normally do. We always just do everything within series, but we're going to do a message that really doesn't fit in a series, but by no means is this lesson the importance of this message today. And my goal this morning um, is to help all who are here, who are born again, who are children of God, to know that you are a child of God, to know it beyond a shadow of a doubt, and thus to walk with unshakable confidence and boldness, that you can say, I am a child of God to yourself, you can say it to God, and you can say it to others. The goal is that when someone asks you, are you a Christian, is heaven your home, for you not to be able to say, I think so, or I hope so, but you to be able to say, I know that I know that I know that I am a child of God. 
Therefore, I pray that this message from the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, will be an instrument to give you the assurance, and me the assurance that we all need. Or, in a different standpoint, if you're here today and you're not a child of God, I pray that today the Spirit of God, by the Word of God, will do a work in your heart and life and draw you to Himself. That you will walk out of here saying, when I walked in, I wasn't, but when I walked out, I am. And that is my prayer. So a little background to where we are this morning. The Apostle John is writing this letter to address some false teachers who had come into the church and were spreading all kind of false information. And they were basically summed up in two main falsehoods. So first of all, false teachers were claiming that Jesus never really came in the flesh, that he did not have a physical body. Basically, they were denying the humanity of Jesus. They were denying that he came in flesh. And then second, these teachers were saying that, yeah, you can accept Christ and it have zero impact upon your life. So you can have Jesus as your add-on Savior, but it really has no impact whatsoever on your life. Or to put it a different way, you can accept Jesus and yet live exactly the way you want to. And so that was the teaching that had come into the church. So all throughout this letter, John talks about who Jesus is, writing about the difference that Jesus makes in a person's life. And what John does in this section that we're about to read this morning is he develops three arguments that he basically repeats twice. And it centers around uh, the reason Jesus came, what faith in Jesus does, the difference that it makes in our lives and the hope of his coming again. And the section we're about to dive into this morning centers around the truth that we who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ are not just saved from our sin. We are also brought into the family of God. We, whereby we become, if you are here today, if you have put your faith in Jesus, you are a son or a daughter of the most high God. Meaning, if you are a Christian, if you have trusted Jesus as your Savior, the one who paid for your sin, if you've trusted him as your Lord, the one who reigns over you, you have been justified by God. Meaning that the holy God of the universe looks at you and looks at me, although I am guilty to the core, although you are guilty to the core, and because of my faith in Jesus or your faith in Jesus, this holy God says you are not guilty. Amen. You are not guilty. Guilty, And it would have been extraordinary enough for God just to declare us not guilty or for God just to say your sins are forgiven, but God goes further. The judge gets off of the bench or out of the bench and he comes to us and he says, not only are you forgiven, you are now mine. You are my son and you are my daughter. We are his Children, just stop for a moment and think about the gravity of what that means, the reality of what that means in our lives, that we are children of God. J.I. Packer put it this way. He says, you sum up the whole New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's holy father. He says, for everything that Christ taught is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. In fact, he basically, in this quote, also says this. If, if you aren't moved by the thought of God being your father, then you don't understand Christianity very well at all. 
So most of us in this room have heard or maybe even have said at one time or another, well, we are all God's children. All are children of God. And it rings flowery and it's nice and it's hopeful. But please hear this today. It's not true. It is not true. Indeed, we are all created by God. Indeed, we are all loved by God. Indeed, we have all been woven together by God, even from our mother's womb. Every hair on every head has been numbered by God. But here's the difference. God only had one son from birth, and it was the son of God. And so if any others of us are going to come into his family, it's going to be because of that one son and what we do and what we have done with him. And so in him, by him, through him, we are adopted into the family by which we are children of God. But let me say it again. Not everyone is a child of God. It's not just believing in him. We saw last week in James 2, even the demons, the devil believes and trembles. So it's not just believing in him. According to John 1.12, it's receiving him. We have to believe, yes, but we have to receive Jesus for who he is, which begs the question, who is he? He is everything he has revealed himself to be. He is God. He is Lord. He is King of kings. And we receive him for who he is. Therefore, on that basis, not everyone is a child of God. Therefore, not everyone can approach God as Father. Yes, creator of all. Yes, he is. But he is not Father of all. Therefore, we are not born into the family of God. We are born again into the family of God. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, it's the work of the Son of God. It's the work of the Spirit of God by which you are able to enter into the family of God. So let's turn now to the Word and dive into this portion of Scripture that I pray will leave all of us in this room this morning knowing, maybe in a reaffirming way or maybe for the first time, knowing that we are children of God. If you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word. The verses will also be on the screen. 1 John 2, we're going to read 28 through chapter 3, verse 10, which kind of makes up one section here. And John writes these words, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. 
No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Let's pray. Father, speak to us today by your word, through your spirit. Speak, Lord, for we are listening. Open our eyes that we may see wonderful, wondrous things from your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And you may be seated. So as Christians, we talk a lot about sin. We talk about forgiveness. We talk about repentance. We talk about uh, being justified by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And we talk about all of those things rightly so. Yet part of what makes the good news so good is the doctrine of adoption. When God saves us, he not only spares us from eternity in hell, he not only spares us from living forever apart from his gracious presence, he also, as we just said, brings us into his family. He adopts us as his own. And the more that we consider being God's children, the more joy we're going to have in this present life. Just think about stories that we have all probably experienced when it comes to earthly adoption. They're fake stories, but they're stories nonetheless. Stories of Superman and his adoption, Snow White, Annie, Luke Skywalker. You know, all of these stories are inspiring mainly because we acknowledge that within us there is a desire, first of all, to belong. So we all have a desire. We want to belong. We need to belong. But there's also a desire within us that we realize this world isn't our home. There's got to be a deeper connection. As C.S. Lewis wrote, If I find in myself desires which nothing in the world can satisfy, the only not logical explanation is that I was made for another world. So if I've tried everything in this world and it can't satisfy me, the only logical conclusion is I was made for another world. And that is the picture. We were made for another world world we realize that we're made for another world we're made for another person we were made for God we were made to be renewed to have a relationship with God and we can but only through Jesus Christ so we are children of God or we can be children of God through what Christ has done for us so I want to this morning for us to unpack three truths that related to the past and the future comings of Jesus Christ for us the first is this Jesus came to make us what we weren't. He came to make us what we weren't. If you look back again at chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. And verse 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now. So John is amazed at the reality that we're children of God. When John says, see or look, or behold, he's saying, don't miss this love that God has for us. Tim Keller says that when John the author says, see what kind of love the Father has given, he is asking from what planet or from what world does this kind of love come from? Now, most of us know the, the biblical event in Mark 4 where Jesus' disciples saw Jesus calm the storm. And when he calmed the storm, the disciples asked the question among themselves, what kind of man is this? What kind of man is this? Basically, they were asking this question. They were saying, he's not from around here. 
So if he's not from around here, where is he from? Like, where is he from? He's not around these parts. And thus, the love of God is unlike anything that we've ever seen. It's unlike anything that we could ever compare it to. It's not like any kind of human love that we could ever give or that's ever been given to us. The love of God is otherworldly. It's completely set apart. And this is the kind of love that one version says God has lavished poured excessively upon us that we should be called children of God. Just think about the love of God. If you're from the 60s, it's a far out kind of love. If you're from the 70s, it's a groovy kind of love. If you're from the 80s, it's a totally radical to the max kind of love. No duh. If you're from the 90s, his love is all that and a bag of chips. If you're from the 2000s, his love is sick. And in the court, according to Madison, if you're from 2010 on, his love is piping hot on fleek popping. I don't know what any of that <laughs> means, but here's the, here's the point. The point is because of his love and only because of his love, we are children of God. And we will never, amen, we will never fully experience the full depth of his love and joy in him until we understand the kind of love by which he has loved us. Now, here's the thing. Most of us look at our spiritual adoption like the, the movie Annie, or musical Annie. We, we see ourselves as the cute, adorable, red-headed orphan that everybody just looks at and goes, oh, they're just so cute and so adorable and so cuddly. And we think about we're adorable, but yet in order to get into Daddy Warbuck's family, there's some sort of trial basis that I have to be on my best behavior, and someone or something is going to kind of thwart me from getting into the family, so I've got to press even harder. And so we think that we somehow overcome all of these struggles, and once we overcome them, we now become um, our, we overcome our orphanness, and now we are children of God. But this is not the truth of Scripture. This is not how God adopts his children. In fact, think about this. I don't know if you know this, but in the Bible times, adoption was not the way it is now. Now, me and our family, we went through the adoption process five years ago, two years before that, and what a process it was. But in biblical days, the, the picture of, of adoption was only basically done by childless, well-to-do families. So well-to-do families. But well-to-do families didn't adopt infants in those days. They adopted older, even young adulthood. They, they would adopt kids or older adults or younger adults, excuse me, that had proved themselves. So they would adopt people who said, listen, we can leave our fortune, we can leave our possessions to him, and he will make sure that our name continues. That's the way adoption was in biblical days. Yet here's the deal. God doesn't adopt us in that way by which we bring this to the table or that to the table and we're, we prove ourselves in this way. We prove ourselves in that way. We set ourselves apart from all of our peers and God says, I want that one. That's not the way it works. God doesn't adopt us because there's something within us that compels him to us. It's quite the opposite. There's something in us that repels us. That repels God from us. It's our sin in us. Yet God loves us in a way that we will never be able to wrap our head around. Let me just say this this morning. God did not adopt you, love you, set his affection upon you because you were prettier than everybody else. Now, you're pretty. You, you are a pretty, pretty group. But you're not that pretty. You, you're not that. Listen, God didn't 
adopt us because of our great physical health, because of our financial wealth, because of our past history, or because of our potential. Let me just lay it before us today. God loves the unlovable and the unappealing. God loves the unlovable. God loves the unappealing. God loves us, not because we're lovable. God loves us, get this, because he is love. Because he is love. And in him we can know love. So Jesus came to make us what we weren't, and what we weren't was children of God. But then secondly, Jesus came to free us from what we were. He came to free us from what we were. Verses 5 and 6 says this, and you'll see it on the screen. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. Let me just stop there and say in the modern church, we have this picture that Jesus came to save us from hell. And yes, in one sense, that's true, but it's not in a sense where we have adopted it. Jesus saved me from hell. I have a get-out-of-hell-free card, and I can live however I want to. And Jesus says, Aunt, try again. That's not the gospel. That is not the gospel. It's not a get-out-of-hell-free card. Jesus came to be a Savior, hear this, from sins, to deliver us from sin. And then John continues, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. And then verse 8 the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of, of the devil. For to us to truly stand in awe of what has happened to us, we have to understand, in the words of Pastor John Piper, that there is something in us that has to be destroyed. There's something in us that has to be destroyed, and what has to be destroyed in us is sin. It has to be destroyed. Every single person in this room has been affected by it. 1 John 3, 4 says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Now, that's not a word that we use much um, anymore today. We don't talk about lawlessness a lot, but here's the deal. Sin is not an accidental failure. Sin is an active rebellion against the holy God. Sin is you and me being made in the image of God, looking at the holy God, saying no. I mean, can you imagine we look at the God who has made us and we go, no, I like my plan better. No, my, my plan is a lot better than your plan is God. It's active rebellion against him. And when we sin, we're participating in a rebellious violation of the law of God. As St. Augustine said, or if you consider yourself really smart, Augustine um, said, The devil made no man, he begat no man, created no man, but whoever imitates the devil becomes a child of the devil, as if begotten by the devil. So John is basically here saying, listen, the origin of sin begins with Satan, not with Adam and Eve, when, when Satan fell from heaven. And this is a reference before the Garden of Eden, before sin came there. So sin entered into the world through Satan, and when we give ourselves to sin, we are following his example. But, but John doesn't stop there. He goes on to say the reason that the Son of God appeared, get this, was to destroy the works of the devil. So Jesus came to set whoever was bound free. And guess who was bound? We were. According to this book, you and I were bound to sin and we were bound to Satan. But because of, of Christ, we who were dead in trespass and sin, I want you to think about John 11. In John 11, Jesus comes to the tomb of Lazarus. So because of 
Jesus Christ, because of our faith in Jesus Christ, we who are dead in trespasses and sins are able to respond to the voice of Jesus calling out to us, come forth. In the same way Jesus said to that tomb, Lazarus, come forth. And once we in faith come forth, then Jesus says to us exactly what he says, what he said to Lazarus, loose them and let them go. Let them go. They are free in me. If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. You don't have to put the chains on your arms and your legs any longer. You're free in Him. And I know some of you are thinking, well, that just sounds like wishful thinking, saying that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil because it seems that Satan is alive and well to me. And I can assure you Satan is alive, but he's never been well. So just, just so we understand, but he is alive. I will not dispute that. But here is what John is saying. Because of the perfect life, because of the substitutionary death, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Satan has been defeated. And John writes again in Revelation 20, Satan will be defeated again. He has been defeated, and praise God, he will be defeated. So John wants us to feel this, to feel this weight being taken off of us, that the enemy has been defeated, and Jesus has come, and he's rescued us, and he renovates us, making us new. Listen, if the the whole purpose for Jesus' coming was to remove sin and undo the work of the devil, then it makes sense that we pursue that, that we don't follow sin, and we definitely don't follow Satan. Just follow with me here. Look at verse 5. There was no sin whatsoever in Jesus. Now, we know that Jesus constantly abided in the Father. He made his home in the Father. He constantly obeyed the Father. And let me just say something. I want you to hear hear this today. The Christian who consistently abides in a sinless person. So if you abide in Christ, if you make your home in Christ, if you consistently abide in Christ, you will not abide in sin. Let me say it in a different way. I'm not saying you won't sin. Most of you have failed that by 9 o'clock today, including me. I'm not saying we don't sin, but here's what I'm saying. If you are abiding in a sinless individual, in Jesus Christ, you will not make your home in sin. You won't make your home there. Let me kind of go a step further. Think about Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son that Jesus tells. The reason that the prodigal son could not stay in that pig pen, get this, write this down, because he wasn't a pig. If you're not a pig, you can't live in a pig pen because you were made for something else. And in this pig pen, this prodigal son came to his senses and said, I'm a child of a father who loves me. And I want to go back to him. Maybe some of you today, you're in this room, and you are in a pig pen. And praise be to God, you are here today to bring you to your senses that you are not a pig. You are one who can be or you are a child of God, and you need to come back home. Come back home. I pray today that we'll hear the voice of the word of God, even from this text, saying victory has been won. Victory has been won. Jesus came to free us from what we were. We were doomed. We were condemned. We had zero hope outside of him. But then lastly, lastly, Jesus is coming and has shown us what we will be. He is coming. He is 
coming. Jesus came once before to destroy the works of the devil, yet, and this is good news, he's not finished coming. He is coming again. You go to the beginning of this section, and John is talking like Jesus is still yet to come. Look at chapter 2, verse 28, or you can see it on the screen. Now little children abide in him so that when he appears so in the future, we may have confidence and not shrink back in shame at his coming. Then John, not just looking to the past, he looks to the future again in chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. I want you to say that with me. Read that verse with me. Beloved, we are God's children when? Now, right this very minute. And then he says this, And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we will see him as he is. Here's the picture. Jesus came once, 2,000 years ago, as a baby, born in a manger, to destroy the works of the devil. But brothers and sisters, Jesus is coming again. And when he comes again, he will not come as a baby, and he will not be in a manger. He will come riding a white horse, and he will come as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, ruling and reigning and claiming everything that belongs to him. And just in case you're wondering, everything belongs to him. Everything belongs to him. And it says in 1 John 3, 2 that we're going to see him, get this, physically, literally see him. There's going to be a day that we're going to physically, literally see Jesus. So please hear this. Christian in this room, look forward to that day more than you look forward to any other day. I know we look forward to a lot of things. I look forward to so much. As a father, I look forward. I look forward to walking my girls down the aisle. I look forward to teaching Malachi how to shave. I look forward to all of those things so much. I look forward to all of that, but none of that compares to Jesus coming again. Do we look forward to that? Do you pray for that? Do you talk about the fact that Jesus is coming again? Because he is. He is. Can you think of anything more wonderful than seeing Jesus? I, if you can, then let's have a conversation because you don't know the Jesus of this book. Amen. There's nothing greater than seeing him. Listen, we sing about him. We talk about him. We study him. We communicate with him. But the grand climax of it all, we will see him. Amen. We will see him. There was a missionary named W. Alexander who tells a story that when a native convert came to the phrase, or to this phrase, we shall see him as he is, while they were translating the Bible, that they laid down their pens and exclaimed, no, it is too much for us. Let us write instead, we shall kiss his feet. And listen, we might kiss his feet, but we will also see his face. Amen. We will see his face, and we will become like him. How will we, will we be like him? In eternity, we will be morally without sin. In eternity, we will be intellectually without falsehood or error. Physically, hear this, we will be free from physical 
weaknesses and imperfections, no more sickness, no more pain, no more doctor visits. We will be physically and, and continually filled with the Holy Spirit. But understand this, like does not mean identical to. You don't become Jesus. Forever we will worship Jesus. And he will be our Savior forever. But here's the deal. Though we bear his name now, though we bear his likeness now, listen, we still sin now. We still fall short now. We still bear in our bodies marks of weaknesses. Our bodies, listen, our bodies are getting weaker, not stronger. You might say, well, I work out every day. Well, you also have an appointment with death, meaning it's coming. And Proverbs says this, beauty is fleeting. There is a day. There's a day that you will look at yourself in the mirror and you will be the most beautiful you will ever be. I'm not going to say when that time, if it's already came or if it's still coming, but there is a picture by which beauty is fleeting. And if you try to chase it, you'll never be able to catch it again. But the, the picture is we're not going to be like Jesus in the standpoint of being exactly the same, but we will bear his likeness in a way that we will enjoy him like we've never been able to enjoy him before. Therefore, let me put the verse on the screen one more time. I want you to see it. I want you to hear it. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. If you see that, read that last statement with me. Beloved, we are God's children. Not later. Not in eternity. Yes, in eternity, but not until then. We are God's children right this minute. Are you a child of God? Are you this day a child of God? Have you been born again by the Spirit of God? Are you abiding in Christ Meaning, are you making your home in Christ? And are you letting Christ make his home in you? Is Christ at home in your life? Is he at home in your conversations? Is he at home in your thoughts? Are you running from sin? Are you running to sin? Are you making your home there where it shouldn't be? Are you eagerly awaiting the return of Jesus Christ? Because the Bible says all of those things will be true of a child of God. That we won't run to sin, we'll run from it. That we will abide in him and he will abide in us. Can you say with confidence this day that you are a child of God? I pray that you can. But if you can't, I want to tell you today that there is a day of salvation. The Bible says that God has appointed a day of salvation and it's called today. Right this moment, you can call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. And it will change not only your eternal destiny, it will change everything about your life. It will change you right now where you are. For if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Oh, we praise him for that. Are you a child of God? Do you know him? I'm going to go ahead and ask you to stand. And we're going to call the musicians forward as we enter into this time of invitation and consecration. And let us pray together. Father, we just come before you rejoicing in you, oh God. Rejoicing in you. That you are a God that not only forgives us, you not only take away our sin, Lord, you bring us into your family. Lord, it would have been amazing enough just for you to say forgiven. But Lord, you have made us your own. As we just said, we are, as we sang earlier, Lord, we are your children. 
children of God. I am a child of God. I pray that everyone in this room, everyone watching online can say that. And they walked in this room not being able to say it. I pray that they would walk out being able to say that because of my faith in Jesus Christ today, I'm a child of God. Lord, I just pray for any who do not know you that today, this very moment, will be a day, a time where they confess their sin to you, O God. They will confess that they have sinned. They've rebelled against you. They cannot save themselves. And they would turn to you, Jesus, and what you have done for them and for us, trusting you as Savior and Lord, forever changed because of you. Holy Spirit, just finish this time, Lord. We're about to sing, your will be done. Your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen.